So Mike is not here today, Shahid, because I think he's busy becoming a farmer. He's, he's playing Stardew Valley, and he and he texted me, and he's like, "I'm not gonna be on the show because I, you know, I gotta I gotta take care of my, you know my farm." That's what he said. So it's always the same, isn't it? Yeah, I don't know if he's coming back now. He wants to be to become a farmer. Uh, apparently, you know, it's his lifelong dream to live that kind of life. So. So exclusively on Remaster Revealed, Mike is <laughs> leaving been... Relay FM to become a farmer. <laughs> it's been good having you on the show, Mike. <laughs> good yeah, luck nice with one. your new... Thanks for dumping me in and Federico <laughs> in it, yeah? <laughs> Cheers. So, um, yeah, Sardew Valley came out on the on the Switch uh, eShop today, and I know Mike was really waiting for this game, and I'm probably going to buy this game as well. Um, I'm not sure what I'm expecting, Mike has been sort of selling this game to me as a sort of a Animal Crossing meets Harvest Moon meets, you know, other similar games, sort of with some RPG elements, maybe even. So I'm really curious to to check this out, actually. But I should tell you, Shade, that I've also been busy lately, and unsurprisingly, I've been playing more Zelda on my Switch. <laughs> and now, <laughs> How many years are you going to play this game? So... Um, I've reached the point where, of course, I the main storyline I was done with that months ago. Uh, then I had to take a break during the summer because I was working on my iOS 11 review. And at one point I thought, well, maybe I could keep Zelda as a sort of a hobby when, when I want to sort of have a distraction. But, you know, especially in the months of August and early September, I had no time to play with the Switch whatsoever. So I picked it up again a couple of weeks ago and... I did a bunch of things. I, I finished all of the shrines. So it's 120 shrines. And I... Of course, there are some spoilers here, but I figured, you know, Zelda came out like seven months ago, so I think it's fine at this point. Um, when you finish all the shrines, you unlock this... Um, it's called the Armor of the Wild. It's basically like the like the headgear and the tunic and the, and the trousers of the wild. And... I wanted to max all of the three items. I wanted to max them out. And to do that, you need to perform like four upgrades. And to perform those upgrades, you need super rare items in the game. So I spent like two days just uh, gathering all those items. So I maxed out the most powerful armor in the game. I did the shrines and I finished the, um, the master trials. So like... I had to do the final trials, which is like the third level. And they're super difficult. I had to start over like five different times. And it was really, it was really tense at the end when you do the final stage. Um, But at this point, I have like 160 hours of gameplay in Zelda. And I think I'm pretty much set in terms of I'm just waiting for the DLC. Uh, Realistically, the only things I, I still need to do are the side quests and gathering all the Korok seeds, but I don't think I'm going to do those uh, because I don't see them as essential to as to what I wanted to accomplish. Basically, now I have the most powerful weapons, the most powerful armors, and I did all the shrines, and I think I'm done for now. I don't believe you. As soon as there's another uh, DLC, you're going so, for it, right? So yes, as soon as the DLC with the with the extra story content and the new quests um comes out, I'm going to jump back in it for sure. 
Um, right now, I'm I'm just exploring the world because I feel like I haven't done much of that because I was so focused on finishing the you know the tasks that I wanted to finish. So I've been exploring, basically just wandering around for the past couple of days. Uh, but that gets kind of boring quickly when you don't have an objective. So I think I'm gonna wait for the DLC. So would you say that as Breath of the Wild? is now your favorite game of all time? Or do you think you need maybe a little bit of time to get some perspective to make that call? <laughs> um, well, it's either Breath of the Wild, I would say at this point, or Final Fantasy Tactics. Uh, it really comes down to those two in terms of, like, I've been thinking about this, and for a long time, Tactics has been my all-time favorite game. And I've been thinking, you know, you've actually been playing, I was telling myself, you've been playing more Breath of the Wild than you ever played Final Fantasy Tactics. Because I think I maxed out Tactics at like 140 hours or something. So 160 hours is more than I ever played Tactics. But it's still hard for me to choose between one of the two at this point. And because Tactics, you know, in terms of story, it was like Breath of the Wild has essentially no story. Uh, whereas Final Fantasy Tactics was an excellent plot, like an excellent story, excellent characters, and a beautifully told story. Um, but on the other hand, like the sense of freedom of Zelda and the just the general scale is like it doesn't even compare to a game that is twenty years old. So I think I actually do need more time to, you know, especially with the DLC coming out. I I I think I need more time to let it simmer for a bit and understand like in my all-time list where it stands but i can say confidently that it comes down to these two games i'm not sure which one i would say it's the top spot but it is definitely breath of the wild and tactics for sure well maybe when it comes to the hundredth episode of remaster you mike and i should look (laughs) back and make that call what's our favorite game of all time because Later on in today's episode, I'm going to talk about what is my favorite game of all time. And it's mm. interesting because it's all Nintendo, isn't it? Mm. Mm. That That is interesting uh, that you're talking about your all-time favorite game. Um, but before we get to that, I want to ask you this question. So I was thinking about Zelda and the DLC that that is coming out, I think, in the holiday season. Um, and what I wanted to know from you, because I, I don't know how these things work, is... What is the process of putting together a DLC like? And especially like the, the first expansion of a game. Because I, I want to understand like how things move between finalizing the original game and making a decision as to what content will be split into a DLC. Like what is the timeline of these events like? And how do developers deal with sort of these two concurrent projects of we need to finish the main game but we also need to decide what goes into the DLC and because like I was thinking folks like you know the 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 teams at Nintendo that works on Zelda like they they had to deal with this massive project of finishing the main game and also thinking about the updates for bug fixes and also the DLC and so I wanted to understand how teams and companies can can organize this sort of this massive effort that you know it is a very complex process as you can imagine Mm -hmm. and really i think the biggest factor is how much budget the developer has available to them 
Because if they have a restricted budget and they're a smaller developer, it's very hard to have DLC ready to go when you launch. And so they tend to work on DLC if the game is successful. You know, they need to see some returns and then they'll work on some DLC. But larger companies with larger budgets will have a full-on uh, lifecycle strategy for the product and they will have budget for DLC. They will have timelines and separate schedules for the DLC. And so they're, they're not under so much pressure to, um, you know, to, to get onto something immediately because they will have been allowed some time and some budget to structure and build the game in a way that supports DLC very efficiently. The game will have been built with DLC in mind. It's very rare that you find a game that has DLC that wasn't really created with DLC in mind. There are a few examples where a game has become incredibly successful and nobody anticipated it. And in the old days, what you did was you capitalized on it by making a sequel. And now the hunger from gamers is so much so that they don't have the time and the luxury to make a sequel and they have to, you know, it'd be crazy for them not to uh, get some DLC made to satisfy people's mm -hmm. desire to play more of the game. And so it's become, even though they have restricted budgets, it's become more part and parcel of a smaller developer's approach to building a video game. In terms of the technology behind it, it depends on the kind of DLC you know, sometimes a DLC can be a different mode of a game. And then there is an awful lot of balancing that needs to be done to ensure that the original game is absolutely fine as is and the new thing doesn't overlap it in a way that kind of messes up the original mm -hmm. in any way. Sometimes it will be just a few extra items. You know, it can be really small like that. And of course, it could be as trivial as costumes. I say trivial because it's just an asset that you've got to add and the game system has got to recognize. But other times it can be like a whole new level. And that is actually not that much harder because if you think about it, the game will have been engineered to allow multiple levels anyway. And so creating one of these would be no different than if they had launched the original game, but with that level added. And often you'll find that when a developer is building a game, that they'll have a level in mind that maybe isn't cutting it, needs a bit more work, and that will be a DLC level. And other times it will be the case that actually it is high quality. They don't want to uh, upset their customers, but they want to ensure that there is something of high quality available very soon after launch. When I was working with developers back in my PlayStation days, see, I kind of got used to saying that now, it was, <laughs> it was something that we encouraged strongly, especially for games that were to feature in PlayStation Plus. Because let's say somebody got a game on, uh, in PS Plus at no cost, you know, as part of their subscription. They were more likely to spend money on DLC at that point because you're thinking, you know, it's just, it's a really easy upsell, right? You got this game and you think, oh, this is an awesome game. I got it for nothing. And this DLC is like only three or four quid. Might as well get it. So it was comparatively low cost for the developer to build. But the idea was that customers would like it. Obviously, I can't talk to the success or otherwise of that approach, but that was the thinking. 
And it, it's very much the case that developers now do think about how best to capitalize on the launch of a game. Because it's not just about the DLC. It's about keeping the original game mm. alive in marketing terms. It's yet another opportunity to push the game in an era where any kind of exposure is extremely valuable. Now, have you ever witnessed uh, that, for example, maybe a developer started working on what they thought was going to be a DLC, and during the process they realized, we got to make a full game out of this? I've not personally witnessed that, because often what happened was that developers just didn't have the time or budget to mm. to create something that was so outstanding or different that they would make a new game out of it because it requires a very different approach you know what what is the premise of a game and they'll be thinking about that long and hard so there there are obviously instances where people think well this is a really valuable idea but really the most valuable idea is a game that's just been launched and developers would do well not to lose sight of that the dlc is two things. It is a way of keeping the game alive in the eyes of uh, existing customers, and it is a way of alerting those people who might have missed a message first time round of the existence of the game. The fact that a DLC costs money is less relevant simply because if people haven't got the game, then spending just a couple of quid is not the big win for the developer. The big win for the developer is they buy a copy of the original game. Right, yeah. That's a great point. So it's not unusual that as a developer is wrapping up the work on the original game, the work on the DLC is already well underway. Sure. The system okay. for supporting it, uh, the DLC itself, uh, especially towards the end, because what will happen is that towards the end, the game is getting polished. And uh -huh. the, the people who were responsible for creating the content have got, not all of them, but you know, certainly not, some of the key people, but some people will not be needed as much. Their effort is, you know, let, let's say the most of the bulk of their effort is now over. They're still working, right? But they have a bit of capacity. So this is a point at which they can use the game's tools, whether they be level designers or um, asset creation tools or whatever, to create new content at that time. That's a good time to do it. So I've stepped off the farm to come back to tell you all about Squarespace. Use the offer code insertcoin at checkout and you'll get yourself 10% off your first purchase. Make your next move with Squarespace. They let you easily create that website for your next idea. Maybe you want to create a blog with all of your strategies for Stardew Valley. Maybe you want to create a portfolio with all the screenshots that you've taken of Stardew Valley. Maybe you want to create... Uh, okay, I'm going to forget this now. You can do any type of website with Squarespace, whether you want to make something Stardew Valley related or not. They are the only one platform that let you take care of whatever it is you want to put online there's nothing to install no patches to worry about no upgrades needed you don't have to worry about any of that stuff squarespace i've got you covered they have award-winning 24 7 customer support if you need any help they let you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name and they have beautiful templates that can all be tweaked to show off your great ideas squarespace plans start at just 12 dollars a month you can sign up for a free trial with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com then when you decide to sign up, use the offer code insertcoin to get 10% off your first purchase and show your support for Remaster. We thank Squarespace for their support. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. I will be back next time, and I will have lots to say about Stardew Valley. Let's talk about the Super Nintendo 
classic mini uh because i think we uh we we all got the this little console in our in our living rooms by now uh, i'm pretty sure the mic has also received this uh super nintendo classic mini and i know shahid that you also got yours and you've been playing with the with the super nintendo plus possibly even more than i did because <laughs> you know <laughs> I was I was doing the shrines and I was <laughs> upgrading my Zelda switch. <laughs> kind of so. busy with your side hustle. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, what are your thoughts on this? Because you you must remember, and I'm not saying here that you're an old person. Uh, the, don't take it the wrong way. But when the Super <laughs> Nintendo when the Super Nintendo came out, I was six, and so I remember receiving by my parents a Super Nintendo and playing with the console. But I was I was a child and I and I really didn't have any you know like I didn't have any thoughts or opinions about it. It was just a toy to me. So and, and of course the the actual thoughts about the Super Nintendo that I that I formed as an adult were uh, you know they they came about later when I was playing with emulators on my PSP and you know on on my Mac with stuff like uh, you know what's the name of that beautiful emulator for the Mac. Um, I don't remember. There's uh, one open with emu? The... Open emu, yes, that's the one. Uh, so uh, my my thoughts about the Super Nintendo games come mostly from emulators. But you must remember the console, like the actual console when it came out. When it came out. So I, I I wanted to know, like, where do you stand on having the Super Nintendo again today? And what was it like when it first came out? It was a masterpiece. It was one of the most impactful moments in my game playing life not so much my game development life though i did work on games mostly in an audio and music capacity but in my playing life it was a real milestone it was kind of bittersweet from a developer's perspective because the super nintendo marked a big shift for me from a time in which i could just about make games on my own or with one other person to a time in which it became absolutely essential to have a team. And up until that point, it had always been a hobby. Uh, even though it had become a business, I never really treated it like a business. I treated it like a hobby. And now it was becoming a very serious business. And and so from the professional side, it was kind of bittersweet, but it was also exceptionally powerful from a playing perspective. I I was really excited by what it was capable of doing. And I think in terms of the the games released, it had one of the most powerful uh, polished catalogs of any console ever. I mean, really startlingly polished. We really started to see some spectacular work, you know. It was like we had come out of the uh, silent movie era. You know, it was that kind of Uh shock to the system. So it's very powerful. I was working mainly on uh, audio at the time for the Super Nintendo. You know, I wrote a, uh, a sample um, player and, uh, you know, music engine, and I composed music for it, did sound effects for it. Uh, I did some really awful stuff, and I did some good stuff, but, you know, we had to churn stuff very, very fast. Timelines were tight and so on. I did the music for a version of Terminator 2. I think I must oh. have watched that movie about... I don't know, 500 times. So <laughs> really, please don't make me watch that again. Um, so it was very exciting, you know, because it had all of these different uh, chips. It had its own dedicated engine for the audio, you know, which is very high quality. And then it had this thing called Mode 7, which just freaked people out. 
Um, it was wonderful. It was the way a 2D machine could kind of fake 3D. Uh-huh. That's, that's probably the, the easiest way of putting it. And th this was before uh, Nintendo also kind of figured out a way to enhance uh, the, the, the cartridges with a special chip inside of them. Right. So it was already more powerful, like, out of the box. It was more powerful than, than all the other consoles. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, the other uh, machine around was, I, I mean, you know, not, not just with those chips, even without the additional chips, like the Super FX chip, like uh -huh. NEC's um, DSP chip. Never mind that. You know, the fact that it had Mode 7, that it had this amazing 65816, uh, some beautiful graphics modes, and it's just a very, very sweet system to make games for, you know, and people got good at it relatively quickly. There's still very low-level programming. No one did C in those days, you know, it was all assembler. But it cleaned the floor with the Mega Drive, absolutely did, because I also did some uh, audio work for the Mega Drive and a few other uh, consoles at the time as well, including the handhelds, and the SNES just blew away uh, the, the Mega Drive, especially with that Mode 7 feature. That's what made it really stand out. And how does it feel playing this again over 20 years later? I mean, of course, the hardware doesn't hold up, but it's selling the games at this point. And that is obviously what Nintendo is selling. It's the games, you know, besides the nostalgia effect. What do you think of the games that come bundled with the, with the SNES Mini? I think it's an incredibly beautifully curated set of games. Mm. The SNES did have some of the great games of all time, games that I think even today some of them hold up. You know, yeah. yes, mechanically, and they are probably not as good as some of the most recent games. But if you just look at them as pure pieces of game art, you know, and I, I mean looking at games as art as opposed to the, the visuals, right? Because clearly the visuals have dated. They feel great. The controller feels great. You get into the experience quickly. The feedback loops are tight. Everything runs smoothly. And I was surprised because, you know, I, even though I'm an old guy, right? Let's face it, I'm really, really old. Um, yeah. I kind of I find the idea of playing a retro game unappealing because I know there's an element of looking back with your rose-tinted specs on. And right. I know yep. that a lot of those older games just do not stand up. And it's better not to... Um, to investigate your dreams too closely. Yeah. Leave, leave yes. your memories intact, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, totally it's get it. It's painful, you know, it's painful. So I was expecting the worst, and I have to say, I was blown away. And I watched my kids play, and, you know, mm. my, my daughters have grown up, and they were laughing their heads off. They were, you know, uh, shouting at each other, you know, in fun. It was just beautiful in a way that I had not seen in a very, very long time. I myself had a go. Um, I had more than one go. <laughs> I had quite a few goes. Uh, I played mainly Super Mario Kart. Of and, course. Okay. And it was, yeah, it, it was as I remembered it. I mean, yes, I, if you ask me now which version of Mario Kart would I like to play, of course I'm going to play the Switch version. Don't get me wrong. I'm I'm not an idiot. I'm not. And I'm not a luddite. I'm not going to turn around and say that uh, the Super Mario Kart and the SNES was a better game uh -huh. or is a better game than the modern version. Clearly, they've learned so much since then. It's less punishing. You know, when when you make a mistake, you're not you are not 
uh, brutally punished as you were in the original. Everything seems a bit clearer, a bit more helpful. But you could see the genesis, you know, if you like, that was the stem cell of all Mario Kart games to follow. And the purity and the, the balance in that game are absolutely stunning. It it's, remains my favorite video game of all time. I put in around 2,000 hours into that game in an era where there was no online. And I would say half of that time was spent um, playing two-player. That's how good it was. And it still feels great. I mean, you know, there are some things that don't quite work as well today as they did back then like mode seven for example you know it makes your eyes bleed you know? <laughs> yeah <laughs> it, it, it can be super strange and also like the uh that effect in in uh super mario uh like yoshi's island mm-hmm. the special effect that i think at the time was one of the uh, special graphics enabled by the custom chip in the cartridge uh, basically, when when you touch one of the puffy uh, monsters in the game and you start hallucinating, and sort of the entire stage kind of blends into this psychedelic effect, <laughs> and that is super weird to look at today because you you get these two two D graphics that are sort of morphing into a three D like environment, but clearly it doesn't get quite there because it was impossible, and so it's just super strange and weird to look at, but also cute in a fun way, I guess. Yeah, I mean, they they were faking 3D, right? Nobody had seen it before, and to have that effect going at 60 frames per second was just, nobody had witnessed it, so they tolerated it. It's just the way it is, you know? But here's a really cool thing about this Mini, is that there are three filter modes that you can use. There is, you know, there's that default thing, which is kind of stretched out pixels a bit. There's a pixel-perfect mode, which is kind of brutal, I have to say. Um, But at least you get to see the pure essence of the game. But nobody ever saw those games that way before, right? Not even in studios. You played and tested these games on on a cathode ray tube screen. And so they have a CRT emulation mode. And, you know, it is really good. I'm very surprised. There's yep. a developer that I've worked with in the past called Pasta Games. Hi, Fabian, if you're listening. Absolutely brilliant technology they came up with. And they came the closest, I thought, to emulating. I don't know if you've ever played any of the Pixar Cat games, but there's one on iOS too. But they really got that um, kind of CRT effect down brilliantly. Many other people have done it too, but that was my favorite example. But Nintendo's version of it is really good. It's not 100%, you know, because it they, they can't reproduce the technology, but they can get very close to it with software emulation. So that's really, I have to say, that's really impressive. Yeah, I enabled it right away. And, it, and to me, mostly because it feels just so much better than... You know when you play with a, with an emulator and especially when you do so on iOS or you know some other high re- high resolution display it feels kind of strange to me to look at these old games with retina quality graphics because I know that is obviously fake like nobody ever played this game with this beautiful high resolution assets yeah. and, and yeah. you know and, and you get the tiny the tiny representation of the game in the in the middle of the screen of course because the pixels are just you know there're just so many packed into this modern displays and so that feel always feel, feels kind of weird, and the CRT filter on the on this NES Mini actually makes it feel like I'm you know back in my bedroom when I was you know, when I was six or seven and playing with my old you know CRT TV. It, feel, it feels kind of beautiful in its own way. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it it does kind of, 
amp up the whole nostalgia factor. Yeah. And it's yeah. a very important part of the original because, you know, you didn't see the graphics the way they were drawn or designed on monitors. You saw, you saw them the way they were meant to be seen, which is slightly blurred and filtered. Now, what do you think of the of the UI of the the like when you when you turn on the console and and you see this uh, like the 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 greed of all the games that you are baked into the system uh f- first i i want to mention that to you need to press a button to power on the SNES mini and then you need to go to the console again like physically stand up and go to the console to reset and go back to the main menu and yeah. I think that that is so like who thought of that? That is not a good idea. No, it's go not. there. I guess I guess they wanted to keep fidelity with the original controller, and so rather than putting like a home button to just go back, they just thought we should keep the controller just like it used to be, and people should just go to the console and press a button. Like that is strange. Yeah, to... it's it, it does kind of you know after a while it's kind of annoying. And the other thing is that the cables. Although they, um, I understand that they are longer than the, the NES. They are longer, yeah. But they're they still are not longer. long enough, you know. No, modern day, <laughs> no. <laughs> modern day players are not going to be happy with those. So I have to sit right on the edge of yep. uh, the sofa, leaning yep. really, really forward, you know. And I don't normally do that. So uh, you know, you live with it. But um, they could have done with maybe a meter more on the length. But yeah. other than that, you know, just the. The setup was really, really simple, I found. Oh, yeah. You know, just HDMI, USB, you know, stick the controller cables in, turn it on, play a game, you know, within seconds. It was just wonderful. There's no there's no online accounts to create, no software updates to perform. <laughs> right, know, just, right. You just plug it in and play a bit in. And they're good games, <laughs> yeah. you know, that's to say, they still stand up. And you, you tell me one other thing that you could do that with. I mean, even the Switch, you can't. As soon as you get it, you're going to have to do some jiggery-pokery with the software. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah, I I kind of miss that. Yeah, it kind of reminds me, uh, and this is probably because last year I made the stupid decision of not getting the NES Mini. But having this kind of console that you plug it into your TV, you turn it on, you play a video game, and you have a choice of, like, 20-plus games to play, it reminds me of those... I don't know if you're aware of this, like... Many, many years ago, uh, like you could find them even at the supermarket, like these fake, cheap video game consoles. Like, I remember one of them, it was called the Polystation, and it was like a fake PlayStation with like 20 (laughs) 20 arcade games built in. And you bought this Polystation and you plugged (laughs) it into the TV. And it it had like one of those like arcade games that you can find just anywhere, even on the internet. And uh, my, I remember clearly that my mom, one day she came back home and she was like, so I went to the supermarket and I, I wanted to know why you made us spend like over, we, di- we didn't have euros back then, but let's imagine that she said, you made us spend like 200 euros and I saw a PlayStation for 20 at the supermarket. And so I was like, what are, you, what are you talking about? There's no PlayStation for 20 years. <laughs> so we went there together and she pointed at the PlayStation. And she was like, here's your PlayStation. It costs 20, 20 euros. I was like, mom, that is not a PlayStation. That is a PlayStation." <laughs> and if you buy it, you might end up having to go to the PlayStation. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I, I think I saw a few months ago Rami from Blambeer talking about the PlayStation because I think it was also popular in Egypt. Right. Uh, 
but yeah, uh, that this is experience of just buying this tiny console and it kind of looks fake in a way because obviously it's super tiny. It's much smaller than I was expecting. Like uh, when my when when I got the box, I was looking at the box. Like this is just the box for the controllers, right? There's no console here. <laughs> Instead, you take it out and it's super small and it's super cute, but it looks fake in in a good way because it obviously you know the original was bigger. You plug it in and you have games, and so it reminded me of those, you know, fake PlayStations from two decades ago. Uh, but I think overall, like the UI of the main menu is not too shabby. It's quite well done, really. Yeah, it's just what you need. The only thing I would say is from an aesthetic point of view is I would like it to have been entirely low res in the same resolution as a oh. Super Nintendo, you know, but maybe it would have made my eyes bleed after a while. I don't know. Maybe you need it as a break from the low fidelity visuals. Yeah, I mean, because they do like they have these thumbnails of the like the original games that you swipe through and there's like a theme, uh, like a retro theme for the dashboard where... You can browse your save states, and you know you can choose the games. It's really, it's really well done. Um, and ju- playing this, I so I played a bit of Super Mario World and some Super Metroid, which again reminds me how just perfect Super Metroid is. But <laughs> you know, hopefully, someday Nintendo will realize this. Uh, anyway. <laughs> I was going to ask you about uh, Super Metroid as well. Yeah, because... I mean, what what is there to ask? <laughs> what is there to ask? It's... How come that's not your favorite game of all time? <laughs> that's a great question. And my answer would be that, as strange as it sounds, I never spent too much quality time with Super Metroid. So I finished Super Metroid, but I did so on a PSP with the SNES 9X emulator. Uh, back in my homebrew PSP days, uh, that that would be over ten years ago, um, and it, I mean, I loved the game, but it didn't feel real for all the reasons that I mentioned. Like it, it was obviously not a Super Nintendo environment, and I could save at any point I wanted with the emulator instead of having to reach the checkpoint in the game. And so I think Super Metroid has the potential of being in my top five of video games. But I would like to play it with a with an officially like with with a with a fully sanctioned environment, you know, with a with a the way Nintendo um, meant it to be played. And so whether it's on the SNES Mini or you know if Nintendo ever does a virtual console on the Switch, I definitely want to play Super Metroid again, like in a in an official way. Because mm. with the emulator, you lose much of the challenge of Metroid. Besides the graphics, you know, it doesn't look real. But you lose the challenge and the the anxiety of I need to reach the checkpoint and I need to save. Yeah, it just becomes so much easier. Have you played with the rewind feature yet? Because I haven't. I I have not either. Uh, I wanted to try, uh, but I I think I want to try in in Super Mario World. And the thing about Mario World is I'm I'm pretty good at it because I've played so many times, and so I, you know I did a few levels and I didn't die, so there was no need to to try the uh, the rewind feature. Um, but I, I would say that the other thought that came to mind as I was playing with this, and I think uh, Jason Schreier for from Kotaku had the same reaction that the more I play with these games on the SNES Mini, and the more I think. I think two things. One, it's a beautiful object to have in my living room, and I'm probably going to leave it there, just, you know, because it's a tiny memento of, from Nintendo. But I also want all of these games on my Switch. And 
that like the more I play these games, the more I like. Why is Nintendo not selling these games on the on the eShop again? I would give them my money again just to have a, have them on the Switch. Wow. Yeah, and that would probably be be like the tenth time that I'm paying for Super Mario World. Uh, but I mean, the the Switch. The thing about the Switch is that it makes any game feel like it belongs there, whether you play on the TV or you play in portable mode, and these older games are just so perfect for the Switch that I love this NES Mini, I love what Nintendo is doing here, but I also kind of feel that I'm not 100% in love with them because I cannot have them on this console that I can take anywhere. Mm. It's a beautiful thing to keep around, and I'm going to play Super Metroid on it, probably because Nintendo is never going to release Super Metroid again. Yeah, I, I mean, after a while, you're just not going to use it, are you? I mean, you're going to have exactly, your fun. Exactly, exactly. You're going to consume yeah. it, but, you know, you always have your Switch with you, so you're going to want to play. Sometimes you will dip back and, and have a go. So, yeah, I, I see that. I see that. Hon- kind of honestly, and, and I think we've, we've, we've talked about this before, Um I would pay uh, a subscription, like an annual one or a monthly one, just to get like full access to to the Virtual Console back catalog. And you know, uh, we'll have to see what Nintendo does in terms of you know if when they launch their online service, if they do you know with the with the one retro game per month, how it works. We'll have to see. Um, my final question to you, Shade, would be: After the Super Nintendo comes the Nintendo sixty four. Do you think there's room for a mini N64? I mean, especially given that the controller was so huge, it's probably <laughs> going to be bigger than the actual console. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I think so. I think there's, you know, the the chips that they're using, there's emulation um, bandwidth to spare. So don't be surprised if they do announce um, an N64 mini same time next year. Because they're using exactly the same chipset for both the NES and the SNES. And there is a lot of... I mean, it's just, you see, it's not just the bare-bones SNES chipset they're reproducing. They're reproducing the Super FX, the Super FX 2. Um, and then uh, Super Mario Kart used the NEC DSP-1. And they're also reproducing that. So there's there's power to burn in there. So no reason why they... I, I don't see a reason why they don't come up with... Uh, a mini N64, and I would love that. I would totally love that. I don't know if it'll do a GameCube. <laughs> no, why? But, uh... <laughs> it would be amazing. I have to look at the tech specs to see if it has the power to be able to do that. Possibly. I don't. I, I don't know. I'd have a look, have a closer look at the hardware, and see if it's possible. And and I will give you my shout. And next episode of Remaster. I was in love with the GameCube. Like it was the first console I think that I truly, truly loved. Uh, possibly even more than the Game Boy Color. Um, I was so into the idea of the GameCube and the games coming to the GameCube that I did the crazy thing of um, buying an American version and buying an, an imported version of Super Mario Sunshine before it was launching in Italy. And due to some issues with my um, SCART connector, and uh, region limitation, regional limitations on the, on the GameCube. Now basically, for the the first two months, I played Super Mario Sunshine in black and white because colors didn't work with the uh, US <laughs> GameCube. Oh and man, my, yeah, I remember. 
<laughs> and my Italian television. So for two months, but I was so into that that I played <laughs> Sunshine in black and white. And then when it came out in Italy and I bought the Italian GameCube and the Italian game, I was like, man, this game is so beautiful. Water is so much better when it's blue. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'd forgotten about that. Of course, the whole PAL NTSC thing. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. So maybe maybe we'll we'll get the. You know, if they ever do the GameCube Mini, they should keep this setting. If you buy the American version, all the games are in black and white. Yeah, it'd be one of the filters, right? Yeah. <laughs> Import yeah. filter. Import filter. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, we're we're thinking ahead of ourselves. We gotta we gotta we gotta prepare for next year. We gotta put in a bunch of pre-orders for the N64 Mini. It's gonna happen, Shade. I'm there. It's gonna happen. So. Uh, hopefully Mike will be back by then if he's still I don't know it depends on the season uh, of the you know with with farming you gotta go with seasons that's right I think two years minimum <laughs> he'll be back in two years Mike will be back for the GameCube Mini well, that, that, that's fine I guess we'll, we'll be we'll be waiting here Mike 